great to hear everybody's voice over Zoom. You all sound like you're right in tune with me. So I loved it. It was great. And that's the only time I'll ever get to say that, right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't usually have you. I'm with you, bro, Lane. I see you're crying there. Um, today I want to spend some time just to have, have a good conversation, uh, continuing in, in living the good life series. I want to talk uh, about our good purpose. So if you're taking notes, we're going to talk today about our good purpose. And, you know, you think about it, we're all making plans. You know, some people are making some big plans, right? Like, you know, Zach and Jesse are planning a wedding. You know, we're looking forward to, you know, to being able to go to that wedding uh, prayerfully in person and uh, see the, the beginning of the life that they're planning together. You know, Others are making career plans. You know, I know a number of us are in, in college right now, so are planning for the next stage of that journey, whether it's, you know, Erica just coming to Burlington or <clears throat> people working in grad school like uh, like Kai or, you know, I'm sure even even Chris, Dr. Sproul is, is happy to be done with school, to be <clears throat> looking at next stages, you know. And all of this, you know, we're considering, we're contemplating our mission our next steps, you know, our quote unquote purpose. And I'm going to propose to you that maybe we're looking at the wrong question. That's why it becomes difficult to answer. You know, we ask about what is my purpose in life? And maybe the question that God's asking us to, to consider is what's his purpose for us in life? What's he thinking? Because <clears throat> that would be a whole lot easier to find if we could just find out what his purpose is. Uh, so turn over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, and, and we'll kick off there. <clears throat> and my first point is God has a good purpose for you. Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God has a good purpose for you. He's, he's working in you to, to will. I mean, I always think of will to want it and then to act according to his good purpose. But my problem here is I often get stuck on the first part of this verse where he says that I've got to continue to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And so I really start thinking about what is it that I'm going to do? Boy, you know, what, what am I supposed to be afraid of? What am I supposed to be trembling of? Oh, this, this feels like, this feels frightening, you know. Oh my goodness. And yet he says to will, you know, God really wants us to want him. <clears throat> the idea that he's going to help get it on my heart that I can, <clears throat> I can will, that I'll want to do this, that I'll want to have a relationship, that I'll want to have a connection with his purpose, with his desire for me. Um, and then he's helping that to develop that desire. I'm sure you're like me. Sometimes you get up in the morning or you, you know, you know something you ought to do. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I have the will or the desire. I mean, I certainly relate to that with the, the exercise part. I was joking with our group this week that I've set a goal this year to run every day. And so I've set a very low standard. I'm going to run for one mile or even walk for a mile. And so now I find myself, I go get on the treadmill and after a mile, I'm done. It's like, boom, I'm done, you know, and, you know, as some of you know, I've run marathons, so a mile is hardly even a warm-up, but 
that's my low standards. That's that's where my will is at right now. I I can will myself to run a mile every day, <clears throat> but God spiritually is helping me to take my will deeper uh, for His purpose to go beyond just the basics and <clears throat> to really have that desire to want to have a relationship, to really want to be able to act, you know, with regard to what He's calling me to do. And you think just about even the acting. How do I act out on my good purpose? You know, it seems simple enough. You know, how do I know what to do? Well, I can go to his word, right? I can, I can study the word. You know, he makes it pretty clear that, uh, you know, Acts 2.42, that the church was just devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were considering it. They were thinking about it. <clears throat> they were putting into practice. They were acting out on it. You know, he's, you know, Paul says in Colossians that God's word dwells in us richly. That's in Colossians 3.16 or, or maybe we learned out of Second Timothy 4 that we're supposed to watch our life and our doctrine closely. And if we, if we do that, then we'll save both ourselves and our hearers. And that's part of the thing we've been talking about that, that Steve and Sue put on the calendar is that this year we'll, we'll, we'll focus more. We'll focus on the New Testament. We'll find a way to do that. And part of me goes, oh, okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm already studying something else out, you know, and then I was re- realizing you know, one thing I, I did is, you know, if you haven't seen them, Bible Project has a video on every book of the Bible. So at the very easiest level, if I wanted to focus this month on the book of, of Matthew, I could just watch the the uh, the Bible Project video. I didn't measure that one, but they're about six to eight minutes. Wow, six to eight minutes. I've watched longer YouTubes probably this weekend than six to eight minutes. I'm going to get me a focus there. Or maybe I know some of us have been digging into the, the Bema podcast. Well, for example, in Matthew, uh, they spent a whole session, a whole season, season three on Matthew. So if you wanted to take a much deeper dive in Matthew, you could just go and listen to the Bema podcast uh, when you're out there doing your daily one mile runs. It's not even enough to listen to a Bema podcast. That's how bad it is. Um, another thing I came across this week is that I, I, I have in the past subscribed to Audible. And so on Audible, there is a Bible. So, you know, if you know how to get Audible books, you can get an Audible Bible that's broken down. And so I've been studying the book of Romans. And so I realized that, oh, the book of Romans can be read in less than an hour. So I listened in my quiet time yesterday uh, to the book of Romans as I read it. And uh, I'm going to do that more. That was really cool. So that means that if I, I think Matthew, Romans is what, 16 chapters Matthew's is Matthew's 28. So maybe Matthew is two hours. So you literally could listen to have somebody read Matthew to you uh, in less than two hours. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm pretty sure you probably have um, have um, watched more than that much Netflix or Hulu uh, this week, maybe definitely this month or this COVID. Right. So it just really opens up how easy it can be to get back in and dig into the Bible you know, and maybe if we align, we put, let's let's talk about that. Let's figure out how we can align as a group. And, you know, in the midst of all the things that we're looking in the scriptures, we can be figuring out how do we sort of take in the New Testament, take in the teachings of Jesus so that we can continue to act them out together. You know, another idea I had is maybe we just have a monthly hour-long book club and we talk about a book, what we got out of it. And you can get something out of it, like I said, by a Bible project video, by listening to it on Audible, by hearing a podcast about it, or, you know, even reading it. You can read it. 
and uh, and then you'd have something to talk about. And that would be really encouraging as we just sort of help each other figure out how do we how do we act? How do we act out what Jesus called us to do? Now, if you look back up in, in Philippians 1, let's go back to Philippians in verse 6. Paul, he's, this is really the, one of the themes of Philippians. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. You know, God started something in you. When you were baptized into Christ, when you started seeking him, he started something for you. He was working there. And we have to keep on figuring it out. We have to keep on looking for the good that God has prepared for us to do. You know, I really believe God doesn't do anything by accident. You know, I don't think there's coincidences. You know, when you bump into somebody on the street that you knew 30 years ago, ding, 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 that was not a coincidence. Of course, if you're only, if you're 28, that would really be scary. But uh, you know what I'm saying? When you, when it doesn't seem like it could feasibly happen, that's well, just God working and he's working all things out like that. He is really working together uh, for you, for his purpose. And he really wants you to complete that purpose. He's really trying to carry us forward. And so that just tells me that where I am now is not where I'm going to be uh, a year from now, a week from now, that God's got something else in store for me there. And so I, I'm just going to do what I can do today so that tomorrow I'll do what I have to do tomorrow to carry on that purpose. And again, not my purpose, you know, but, but Jesus's purpose. And, you know, just another, another scripture to jot down Ephesians 2.10, you know, Paul says that we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, I think the cool thing there is you don't have, I don't have to, to prepare thing, good things for me to do. They are just going to appear, you know, what was it Field of Dreams says? If you build it, they will come. You know, if you build your spiritual life, those things for you to do are going to appear. They're going to be like me, my neighbor, my 85-year-old neighbor stopping on the side of the road in his car and wanting to talk to me. You know, I didn't have to go find him. He found me. That was pretty exciting. And so now I just got to figure out what's God, what's Jesus, what's the good work that I'm supposed to do here? And, you know, another thing to not jot down is 2 Timothy 2.21, 2 Timothy 2.21. You know, he says that if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. And so if I just continue to, to seek Jesus, I continue to purify myself, to make myself ready for the good purposes, for the, oh, wait, noble purpose, good purpose. Wait a minute. I'm seeing a little bit of a trend here. We're getting this good purpose coming through. If I do that, then if I just focus on being ready for God's good purpose, then I'm going to be ready for any good work he sends my way. I don't, I don't have to really even think about it. I'm just going to be ready. Now, before we jump in, go ahead and turn over to Romans 8, 28, and that's going to be the, where I'm going to spend the rest of the time here. But I want to read you as we get there uh, a story from a book by Max Licato. So here's the book. And I'll just read it to you. You may have heard it. If you have, just enjoy it a second or third or tenth time. It says, once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all, for he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, its strength. People offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man always refused. This horse is not a horse to me. 
he would tell them, it's a person. How could you sell a person? He's a friend, not a possession. How could you sell a friend? The man was poor and the temptation was great, but he never sold the horse. One morning he found that the horse was not in the stable. All the village came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. We told you that someone would steal your horse. We warned you that you would be robbed. You're so poor. How could you ever hope to protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better to have sold him. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted. No amount would have been too high. Now the horse is gone and you've been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. That's all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? The people contested. Don't make us out to be fools. We may not be philosophers, but great philosophy is not needed. <clears throat> the simple fact that your horse is gone is a curse. The old man spoke again. All I know is that the stable is empty <clears throat> and the horse is gone. The rest I don't know. Whether it's, it'd be a curse or a blessing, <clears throat> I can't say. All we can say, see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? The people of the village laughed. <clears throat> they thought that the man was crazy. They'd always thought he was a fool. If he wasn't, he would have sold the horse and lived off the money. But instead, he was a poor woodcutter, an old man just still cutting firewood and dragging it out of the forest and selling it. He lived hand to mouth in the misery of poverty. <clears throat> now he was proven that he was indeed a fool. After 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He'd run away into the forest. Not only had he returned, <clears throat> he had brought a dozen wild horses with him. Once again, the village people gathered around the woodcutter and spoke, old man, you were right. We were wrong. <clears throat> what we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. The man responded, once again, you've gone too far. Say only that the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses return with him, but don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You only see a fragment. <clears throat> Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You read only one page of a book. Can you judge the whole book? You read only one word of a phrase. Can you understand the entire phrase? Life is so vast that you judge all life with one page or one word. All you have is a fragment. Don't say that this is a blessing. No one knows. I'm content with what I know. I am not perturbed by what I don't. Maybe the old man's right, they said to one another. So they said, but <clears throat> little, but down deep, they knew he was wrong. They knew it was a blessing. Twelve wild horses had returned with one horse. With a little bit of work, the animals could be broken and trained and sold for much money. The old man had a son, an only son. The young man went to break the wild horses. After a few days, he fell from one of the horses and broke both legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and cast their judgments. You were right, they said. You proved we were right. You proved you were right. The dozen horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Your only son has broken his legs, and now in your old age, you have no one to help you. How, <clears throat> now you are poorer than ever. The old man spoke again. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Say only that my son broke his legs. Who knows if it's a blessing or a curse? No one knows. We have only a fragment. Life comes in fragments. <clears throat> so it, it so happened that a few weeks later, the country engaged in a war against a neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was injured. Once again, the people gathered around the old man crying and screaming because their sons had been taken and there was little chance that they would return. The enemy was strong and the war would be a losing struggle. 
they would never see their sons again. You were right, old man, they wept. God knows you were right. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he is with you. Our sons are gone forever. The old man spoke again. It's impossible to talk with you. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons have gone to war and mine did not. No one knows if it's a blessing or a curse. No one's wise enough to know. Only God knows. I love that story because I think it sort of highlights how we tend to try and figure out if something is great for us or if it's bad for us. <clears throat> and so my second point here is, is from Romans 8, 28, uh, which says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so the point is, if you're jotting a note, is working for good doesn't mean all things are good. You know, and as I was remembering this verse, as I was getting ready for, to share, uh, I tend to remember this verse is that all things work together for good. So I tend to think in my mind, well, it just means that everything that happens is going to work out for a good ending. You know, and of course, a, a simple read of the scripture says that's not exactly what it says. <clears throat> it says that God is working in all things for the good of those who love him. <clears throat> and so, you know, as in the horse and the sun story, we don't know for sure what is going on at the moment and how God is working out in things. But the thing I want to call your attention to is it's that promises for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so there are really two pieces there. It's, you know, and again, for those of you that remember the Greek words for love, this is agape love. For those of us who decided that we're going to love God with our whole hearts, <clears throat> that we're going to trust him, that we're going to rely on him, that uh, that he's we're all in for his good purpose. That's promise is is your promise then, <clears throat> but also that you've been called according to his purpose. You know, for me again, it's that that purpose word again. Uh, as I as I shared earlier, I tend to want to think about well, what's you know what's my purpose? And yet here, this promise is things are going to work out for good. If I'm loving God and I'm, I'm taking the calling uh, to follow his purpose, that I'm looking for his purpose and I'm acting, I'm learning to will that way and to act according to that. You know, you know, you're doing it when you are you know, loving your neighbor. Oh, wait, how about even loving your enemies? You know, caring for the sick, uh, that you're proclaiming the kingdom of God, even when it's difficult. You know, those are the things that he's called us to do. And, and he says when we're doing those things, when we're, we're following that calling, that uh, he's going to be working in the background. He's figuring things out for us. And if you continue reading there in Romans 8, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined <clears throat> to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and that those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Just think about it. <clears throat> You've been chosen. You know, we'll dig into predestined exact meanings later, but that's really what it means. You've been picked. You've been picked and you're, you've been conformed to be like Jesus. That's what it means that your sin's forgiven, right? <clears throat> you are conformed to be like your brother. As he was firstborn among many brothers and sisters, that makes you part of the family, part of the kingdom of God. And you've been called according to his purpose. <clears throat> you've been 
justified. You know, he, he looks at you like he just as if you'd never sinned and you've been glorified. You, you've been made holy. Just let's pause for a second and, and consider that. Regardless of whether you, in what stage in the horse story you are, whether it's you're the, you're the cursed or you're blessed <clears throat> in all of those, you've been chosen to be part of the family, you've been forgiven, you've been basically validated that your sins are totally gone and that you are, you're holy like God wants you to be holy. It's just amazing. You know, it's, and so when you take that into frame, it, it doesn't really matter if this is a good day today or if it's a bad day, because that really is the bottom line. And so let's, let's finish here. My last point is going to start in Romans 8.31. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. What then should we say in response to this? <clears throat> if God's for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. <clears throat> How will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. God is for us. God's chosen you, God's chosen me, God's justified you, God's justified me. You know, Jesus is interceding for me. Who's going to condemn me? If I walk in the light, who's going to condemn me? Who's going to separate me from God? Well, I'll give you a clue. There's only one person that can separate you from God. It's you. It really is you, you know. Go back in Romans, not right now, but in Romans 1 and 2, it says the only way that you get separated from God is when you decide not to go after him, when you decide that he's not worth your effort, that he's not worth pursuing, that his purpose isn't as important as my purpose. That's the only way that you separate yourself from God. So if you resolve to not do that, then you really can claim this, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, I just went through and thought about in this verse, all the things that don't separate us from God. Trouble, okay? Flesh out trouble. You can put anything you want there. I mean, it's your trouble, whatever it is. Hardship, any kind of hardship, that's not going to separate you from God. Persecution. Paul certainly knew about persecution, um, <clears throat> having been in prison, having suffered. But he said even that, even persecution is not going to separate you from God. Famine. Nakedness. Being in danger. 
the sword. Somebody imagine somebody coming after you with a sword. That's frightening, right? It's like it is crazy. I, I facing death all day long. Even he said, even if you're just like a sheep for the slaughter. Well, I mean, when you think about sheep for the slaughter, those are those are animals that have just been destined their whole life. They were raised, fattened, prepared to be eaten. So even if that's you, if that's the way your life is, that you're just a sheep for the slaughter, <clears throat> you know, you're not separated from God. Because in all of this, you're more than a conqueror. Now, this is a little fun, you know, a little side note here uh, for the geeks in us, hyper So, you know, we've heard of things like hyperactive, hyper this, hyper that. So what this means is you are, in my English, you're more better than just a conqueror. You're way better. You're beyond it. You're overpowering. Like, I mean, this is the only time it's used in the, in the New Testament. This is, he's like saying, this is not just being victorious. This is not just winning. This is not just even winning the Super Bowl. This is winning the Super Bowl 145 to nothing. You know, where you go, you know, oh, you know, you know, they were more than conquerors. They just left, you know, the other team might as well not have even come on the field. They didn't even show up, you know. So that's the word he uses. He picks that, that you, you as a disciple of Jesus, you are, you are prevailing mightily. You're a, you're overcoming abundantly. You know, that, that through him who loved us, you know, Jesus is making us an over the top victor. And then he goes on, he says, you know, as an over-the-top victor, you know, let's just take some basic stuff, death or life. They're not separating you from Jesus. You know, angels or demons. You know, some of us go, man, I just need more angels on my side. Someone's, I just need less demons chasing me. Either way, it's more than that. Or it could be just, you know, the present. Oh, if I could just get past the day or Oh, I can't believe what's coming up tomorrow, the future. You know, some of that's even, I think, you know, they, you know, we've got the, we've got the kingdom now and the kingdom to come. And so either of those, you're connected with Jesus. Heights or depths. Well, I'm scared of heights. Anybody that's hiked with me knows I'm scared of heights and they make fun of me. I, but as I think about it, I'm scared of depths too. I'm not really wanting to go diving down in the deep waters. But either of those, there's no height that's going to separate me from Jesus, no depth either. Oh, well, you know, let's just go to the superlative. There is no power. There's nothing else in all of creation. If you, if you, if your thing didn't fall on this list, Paul just says, okay, there's nothing, just nothing. Nothing is going to take away this hyper victory that you get from your purpose in following Jesus Christ. You know, and the bottom line of it is, is nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. It's because God's good. You know, David wrote in Psalm 34, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, later on, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. God is really there for you, for everything, as you seek him, as you seek his good purpose in your life. And so as we take communion now, Let's consider how God has created us for his good purpose, that he loves me, he loves us, and that he's continuing to work things together 
for our good, for the for what he wants to do in our lives. Think about the things that are trying to separate you from God, from the love of God. Let go of them. Think about the promise of being in the complete love of God because of the cross of Jesus. Let's pray for our communion. God, it's uh it's just encouraging to think about how much you love us, that you are transforming us, that you're preparing us, that you've thought about ways that we can live and walk in your love and your light even today. Gotta pray that we would reflect on just how completely changed we are because of the blood of Jesus. That that blood takes, not only takes away our sins, but it, it changes who we are and how we see and seek you. Gotta pray that we really connect that, that nothing separates us from the good life that you called to us to live in, in Jesus. We love you. Pray you be with us as we take the bread and the juice and reflect on the communion, on the relationship, on the forgiveness that we have in you. We love you. Uh, It's in Jesus' name we pray.